Here we go. Well, good morning. You're alive. I'm barely alive. I want you to know. I uh, was up fairly early this morning and drove a couple hours to get here. Grateful I made it. But um, what I want to do to begin to this morning is I want to teach you uh, just a little course. Okay? You, you're good with that? You like to sing? Doesn't really matter. We're going to do it anyway. So just have to kind of prepare yourself for that. This uh, actually comes out of that psalm. So this is the uh, phrase uh, in verse 10 of that psalm. So I'm just going to run it by you a few times and then we'll try it together, okay? Shot at it. Here we go.
You okay? There we go. Well, Psalm 46 is a great psalm. I hope you would uh, enjoy reading it often. Uh, this morning, I just want to share a few thoughts. I have no idea what time this service is supposed to end. No one told me that. Therefore, I drove two and a half hours. I figure I'm going to preach two and a half hours. Uh, not really. Not really. 1989, uh, I was in San Francisco. And uh, I had uh, driven from Southern California where I lived with my family. And I had gone up there to um, do a concert, actually to perform at a thing called the National Youth Workers Convention. And I was... Um, driving through the area of San Francisco, and I had ended up uh, the day before this convention started in Mountain View, California. And in Mountain View, I had a good friend who I was staying with, and uh, we were sitting at his kitchen table at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and all of a sudden, uh, it just felt like a bulldozer hit the side of his house. And uh, it was kind of frightening, and I thought, somebody's doing construction outside. We need to tell them to stop. Uh, but before I could really kind of gather my uh, senses, uh, my friend had leapt up from the table, had grabbed his two children, had them under his arms, and was running out the front door, and he was yelling back at me over his shoulder, get up, you idiot, it's an earthquake. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. I've lived in California all my life. I guess I just kind of, that's just kind of normal. Um, but he lived in the Bay Area, and that was a little less exciting in that area. And uh, so I got up, and we went outside, and I remember watching the ground roll with the earthquake. And he had a tree in his front yard, and the tree actually was bending down and then coming back up straight as the roll would come by. And it was just wild to watch. And uh, we went inside and we looked at the news immediately. The, the World Series, first game of the World Series was starting. And uh, all the announcers were underneath the table of the booth, uh, kind of broadcasting from there something they couldn't see at all because they actually were underneath the table. But they, uh, they were getting people out of the stadium. They were doing all sorts of things. The, uh, one of the freeways in the area had collapsed on itself. I mean, it was awful. But it reminded me of how oftentimes we're walking through life and things seem fairly ordinary and normal, and all of a sudden something comes along to upset that, uh, to somehow shake things up, to create what I might describe as a sort of an instability in our lives. And that kind of instability is a little bit uh, anxiety-producing. Uh, it makes me feel a little bit less uh, secure about things. And as I think about that, I, I look at this psalm and I realize that we live in a world where there is a ton of activity. And a lot of time that activity is about us trying to somehow deal with the inner agitation we're feeling. The sense of restlessness that's going on inside of us, the sense of anxiety that's going on inside of us, the sense of things are changing and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to react to this kinds of things. Now you're in a transitional phase right now in this church. Uh, things are happening. 
And I would imagine for some of you, that's a little bit like, okay, so what's next week going to be? You know, we got this guy in place. He drove a little ways to get here. What's next week going to be? And that can create a certain amount of anxiety, a certain amount of insecurity. And in those kinds of places, in the world that I live in, what happens so often is that people tend to move to more activity so that they don't have to feel that anxiety. I add more to my plate so I don't have to think about stuff that's going on inside me. And then you come to a text that has this famous phrase, be still in it, and you say, how in the world am I supposed to do that? How am I, how am I supposed to be still? Well, this morning what I'd like to do is share just kind of three thoughts out of this text. It'll end up being a lot more than three thoughts, I can tell you that right now. Wouldn't that be great if it was just three thoughts? But no, it won't be. It will be more than that. But three ideas to kind of frame the text a little bit for us this morning, and uh, so hopefully this will make sense to you. The first thing is, is that when you read this psalm, it begins with this statement, God is our refuge, our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. But it's that little phrase that begins, God is. And if I begin to forget that God is, the other influences in my life begin to crowd in, and especially the influence of fear begins to crowd into my life. When I have forgotten that God is, fear has a much more prominent place in my life, a much more prominent way of influencing how I react to situations. And the other thing about this is that for many of us, we may have a religious background. We may have some sort of a sense of being a churchgoer for most of our lives. But it's very easy in the world that I live in to live as though God isn't more than God is. To live my life as though God just isn't. I realized one day when I was walking with my wife that it was really easy for me to get up in the morning and read my Bible, shut my Bible and put it away, and then go on with my day. I had this sense that, God, I've given you some time. I've given you your time. And now the rest of the time is mine. And I get to do with it as I please. Somewhere in that, I forgot that God is. God isn't just in my past. God isn't just in my future. God is in the now. He's in my present. So that wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, God is. The psalmist begins there, and I think it's a good place for us to begin, that God is. But there are three ways that we see this kind of be still idea come to fruition in our lives. The first one is this, to pay attention to the person of God, to his presence. So the person of God is described in three ways in this opening verse. He says God is a refuge. A refuge in the Hebrew is an idea of the shelter from the storm, okay? It's that insulating sense that we have when we're in a, a place that's kind of all surrounded and we're protected. 
The psalmist recognizes that God is his refuge. He's the one that brings the insulation to his life. It's not all the stuff he has. It's not the fact that he can have a great job or he has family or any of those things. It's the fact that God, in a sense, provides that shelter in the midst of the storm. I traveled to Nigeria a while back, and when I was in Nigeria, one of the interesting things, we were with these Nigerian pastors, and they said, look, we need to warn you about a few things. You need to be sure that you keep your eye on your luggage all the time. Don't let your luggage out of your sight. And don't just get into any cab that's driving by. Okay. And beware of the mosquito. And I'm like, really? And he said, because it carries every kind of disease imaginable. And so I'm thinking, there are a lot of things I need to be nervous about while I'm here. I came to have, you know, this time of ministry in Nigeria, and, and really what I am is, a, is really anxious. What I realize is, is it's so easy in those places of anxiety to forget that God is our refuge. But the way that we get into the refuge is that we have to begin to do this very simple thing, and that's to admit that we are vulnerable. For some of us, we're great at putting up the wall, making people think that everything's okay, that we life's a breeze, we've got it all under control. To say that God is my refuge means that I have to admit my own vulnerability. The second word that's used about God is it says that he's our strength. Okay? He's our strength. And that has that sense of all the way through the scriptures of being, you know, a strong right arm. It has that sense of the mighty tower that's strong. And, and uh, it's this sense of when you watch the Olympics and you see that guy get down there and he lifts that, you know, weight over his head, you know, and it's 5,000 pounds. And you're sitting there kind of going, I, I wouldn't want to be him for anything in the world, you know. Uh, and, and you look at that and you say, those are the places I, you know, I look at and I go, man, that's strength. That's strength. But strength is one of those things that it's easily uh, me coming up and trying to share you, with you all my great capabilities and try to keep things under control with my strength. Most of my life, it's been tough to admit that I'm not strong. And as I get older, I realize there are things that I counted on that I could do when I was younger that I'm not quite as adept at now. My grandchildren remind me of this often. Okay? You can't do that? What's wrong with you? And I just want to say I'm old. Come on. Get with the program. But in the world that I live in, weakness is not prized. Strength is prized, but not weakness. And yet, if we are going to come and say that God is our strength, I have to be willing to say, I am not my strength. That I am not strong. 
that I can't do this. I have to actually embrace my weakness. So what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 9? He says, you know, I, he's gone through this whole litany of things that he's prayed about, but he's prayed about one particular thing. He prayed for this thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that it would be removed from his life, and it wasn't. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you think he has God's ear? We all have God's ear, so don't, don't take that too far. But that prayer isn't answered the way Paul wanted it to be answered. He didn't get necessarily what he asked for, but he did get an answer. And the answer that God gives him is this, that my grace is sufficient for you, that my power, my strength is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'll glory in my weakness, in my sufferings, in my persecutions, in these places where my body's not working the right way. I will glory in my weakness that the power of Christ might show through me, that his strength might be in me. If you're going to know the strength of God, the person of God who is strong, you're going to have to open up and say, I'm willing to. To admit that I'm weak. Not easy to do. In fact, for some of us, it needs to be a practice that we work at. Not just something we kind of wait for and say, oh, I hope I can say I'm weak this time. But we practice at it. We don't necessarily trust in our own capabilities. But we trust in the capable God who is strong for us. Third way that God is described is it's described as our help. Our help. And help is this idea of military assistance. It's like the army is coming. They're coming to save you in this moment. And man, oh man, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of occasions where I could use help. A lot of occasions where I need help. But it puts me in that place again. It puts me in that place where I have to admit something if I'm really going to, in a sense, get and appropriate that help from God. And the thing that I have to admit is that I'm helpless. And that's another hard one. I heard a guy one time when uh, he was in a conversation and somebody said, you know, you need to ask for help. And he said, I, you know, I don't want to ask for help. It makes me sound helpless. Well, let me give you a little piece of information here. You want to understand God's help? You want to appropriate it in, in your life? Somewhere along the line, you have to admit that you're helpless. But it says that God's an ever-present help. That word doesn't have so much to do with a sense of time, like present now, although it does have that hint to it, it has more to do with proximity. God says he, the, the psalmist says that God is an ever-present help. That means that God decides that to help you, he is going to be present to you, with you. Probably the greatest expression of that kind of help that we will ever know is the Incarnation. The fact that Jesus takes on human flesh and blood and comes and is among us. 
He's present to us. Wouldn't it be interesting in the technological age that we have that if you cried out for help that God sent you a text message and said, by the way, I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. Wouldn't you just love that? You see, the idea that God is present means that God is so concerned about your life that he's not just going to leave you alone, but that he's going to be there for you. When you cry out for God's help, you need to know that he's there. But like Paul, you have to also realize that he may not show up and do the thing that you think he needs to do. I have all sorts of things I think God should do. Fortunately, an all-wise God seems to know better. And sometimes the way his presence and his help comes to me is a way that is far grander than I would have ever thought or imagined. That he's helping me not just to get through something, but to be more like him. And so he's with me. He comes to me. He's my help. So if you want to understand what it means to be still, one of the first things is just to know that God is a refuge, a strength, and a help in times of trouble. That word means to be squeezed, to be pressed in. Nobody really enjoys that. And he, he's, then he describes the kind of trouble you might be through. Though, what, the earth gives way. Though the mountains slip into the sea, the, the sea foams and roars. Though the mountains quake, you need not fear. When I was in San Francisco in 1989, there was things to be frightened of. But God is a refuge and strength and help. I need not fear. In the times where things are frightening in your life, it's difficult to be still. And that's why we move back into that place of God is. And I need to go back to the God who is my refuge, my strength, and my help. Second thing is that not only is the person of God shown up here, but also the place of God. It says there's a, a river that makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Two things I want you to think about here. First is the idea of refreshment. Notice that in this psalm, before where he talks about water, he says it's surging and roaring. It's just like, like the rapids and you're caught in the middle of a whirlpool and it's not great. But he goes on, he says there's a stream, a river that's flowing through the city of God that brings gladness. The gladness of refreshment. When you think of the place of God, you need to realize that that place is a place where you can find the refreshment you long for. When you're dry and when you're thirsty, it's a place of refreshment. It's the place where God is. The place where God dwells. And it describes it as a holy place. 
And it's easy to think that the place is holy and therefore God lives there rather than to realize that, no, the place is a place. What makes it holy is the presence of God. You need to realize that when you say, you know, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not you that makes God holy. It's God that makes you holy. And that where God dwells and chooses to dwell, that place becomes holy space. And in this city where God dwells, it's holy space where there's refreshment. And you need to count on the refreshment that God longs to give to you. But not only that, there's also this sense of stability. He says, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Won't be shaken. In some ways, it's as though we realize that God is the very bedrock of foundation that we need. For whatever kind of place, whatever kind of life we're going to build. So when you think about your life, you get this great opportunity to begin to say, Lord, How do I move into your place? And the wonderful thing is is that God has invited you into his space. Into his space to be with him. The whole of what we're leading up to in terms of Lent and Easter moves us to the place where God is providing the way in. The way into his presence. We're celebrating that. But for a lot of us, we don't enter in. Christianity can kind of uh, be a one and done kind of a thing. I raised my hand in a a service somewhere. I, I prayed a prayer. And it's done. When my wife uh, committed her life to Christ, that was sort of the way it was for her. When somebody said, there's more to it, she was like, what? I just was kind of responding in that moment, and I figured that moment was past, and now I was going to go on with life. I had the fire insurance, and I was ready. Okay? But over life, you begin to realize that God has so much more for you to experience of his presence. He invites you into his city, into his place. So if you're going to be still, one of the things is to come to terms with what it means to be in the place that God is and to let his refreshment and his stability calm down some of those things inside that are going nuts. The third thing that the psalmist talks about is he talks about the preeminence of God. And he does it this way. He says, come and see the things, that the the works that God has done. Okay? Now, you've been invited. Come and see. Come and see the works God has done. What do you imagine when you hear that? What kinds of things do you think God is doing? Some of you might look and you say, you know, I remember how he healed me. I remember, you know, when the money was tight and he provided. We think of those things and we go, you know, Lord, I'm so grateful for the things you do. 
the psalmist seems to go a different direction. Not that those things aren't true and don't happen. He says, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's wrought on the earth. Okay? How many of you want to show up and watch things become desolate? Wow. But there is something there that I think we can miss at times, that in the places of desolation tend to be the places that we cry out to God the most. The places of the barren desert tend to be the places where we seek water more readily. And sometimes it's the place of desolation that begins to raise up in me those things that God would actually like to purify in my life. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's wrought. When you are faced with the places of desolation in your life, I just want to make an encouragement to you, and that's don't try to escape, but see what God might want to give to you there of himself. It's always fascinating to me that in the Gospels, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, it says that he came out of the wilderness, which is the same word for desolation in the New Testament. He came out of the place of desolation, and that's where he proclaimed the word of the Lord. Because that's what our world is. It's a place where there's a lot of desolate space. And God longs to inhabit that space with his life. So come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he's wrought. And then he says, be still and know that I am God. We have arrived. Be still and know that I am God. For many of us, the idea of being still is just a hard thing to wrap our minds around, to wrap our hearts around. So much of our lives, people have demanded of us that we be active, that we manage, and that we control. The word be still, that little phrase there, actually means to loosen your grip. When you think about your life, the high level of control and management that we tend to bring to it is about holding on tightly. So it's fascinating to me that the psalmist is saying the greatest strength you have may not be, oh, that was good. In grip strength, I just went out of the camera lens, that the guy's going, wait a minute, you're out of the frame. The greatest strength you have may not be in grip strength. It may be in the opening of your hands. And sometimes it's far easier to do this than it is to do this. And the psalmist says, be still, loosen your grip, and know that I am God. Know that I am God. I tend to want to grip things as though I am God. I tend to want to hold on and control and manage as though that was ever my role to play. When we think about the Sabbath, the same thing is going on. The word Sabbath means to cease, to stop. 
for many of us, that idea just is like, whoa, you're talking about something that I'm not sure can happen. Because if I stop, it won't get done. Any of you ever feel that way? If I stop, this isn't going to get done. And so here's this thing that we come away with. We come away with this idea that somehow the world is dependent on our activity. But that's the lie. The world has always been dependent on the activity of God. I don't keep the world spinning. And the fascinating thing is, is when I loosen my grip and let go, when I stop, when I'm still, guess what? The world still spins. It's still going. Because there is a God that understands and is the one whose activity truly counts. When I open my hands and I say, God, you're the one, I open a whole range of possibilities up for God to work in places that maybe I was controlling and so tightly holding on to that he couldn't even get in there. If you want to figure out what it means to be still, think about what it means to open your hands, to loosen your grip. As we come to the end of this time, just to remember that in the stillness, God is. And when I rest in him, life comes to me in the fullest. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for this time and this uh, group of people who come into this place this morning to hear from you. We pray that whatever that word that was from you this morning, that you had for them, that they would take away that word and that they would practice those things that you've called them to regarding that word. Thank you that you love us, that you love us not because we can do a lot of things, but you love us in our places of vulnerability, in our places of weakness and helplessness. You love us enough to invite us in. And when we arrive, you allow us to be still and just to know you. Pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.